I'm always a mother of three. And, you know, people sometimes will say, how many children do you have? And you kind of think, do I want to tell them all this? Or do I just say, well, we have a son, so it depends who I'm speaking to. But generally, I'm pretty honest, because then you usually find there's a story comes out and maybe you can help someone. The Profile with Premier Christianity magazine. You're listening to Premier Christian Radio. My name is Ian Britton, Premier's Northern Correspondent, and we're in Belfast today. And I'm with Catherine Campbell, who's got a new book, which is called God Isn't Finished With You Yet. But before we talk about the book, I think we probably need to go back to the beginning and just chat about childhood and parents and early memories. Hi, it's lovely to be with you, Ian. And uh, I must say, my early memories are really good. Brought up in a very small house in Belfast. My father worked in the famous Belfast shipyard. We, I didn't know as a child that we were actually quite poor because our, our home was filled with lots of love and fun and all of those kind of things. We, we were, um, like most families back then, we were very much a churchy family, kind of many, many families in your street in those days went out to church. And so mum and dad would have got the three of us. I'm the middle child of three. I have an older brother. I have a younger sister. They would have got us all ready and sorted. We would have went to church, did our wee bit. You know, you weren't allowed out to play on a Sunday, all of those kind of things that went back to those days. And had a very happy childhood, really. And then we moved out to what we jokingly call the great metropolis of Rathcool when it was built, which was a big housing development outside the city. The same situation continued where we, we were going to church and things like that. So my idea, actually, of being a Christian was that you went to church. That was the only thing I knew. And, and unfortunately, I hadn't at that time heard anything about having a personal relationship as we would call it today with with the Lord Jesus um, until I was in my early teens so my early childhood was in the Belfast area very much. So you're a middle child what kind of child were you? Oh dear I was very boring my brother and I actually only 18 months apart and um, he was kind of the only son so therefore I would have said got away with everything, but I suppose I'm not allowed to say that. Then my my sister, she was the uh, lively one in the family. You know, your typical redhead. And she was great fun, always up to lots of stuff. Me, I liked to do as I was bid, as we would say in this country. And and so life was just you know, kind of going to school, going to the guides, had lots of friends. But some people wouldn't think it now when they know me, but I was quite a quiet young teenager (laughs) and growing up as well. So you say that uh, you kind of did all these things at church. Was there a particular person that might have inspired you and got you started to think that there was a bit more to things than just going to church? Unfortunately, there wasn't in the church that I was going to, but remarkably in a school just along the road here, there were quite amazing things happening at that time. There were lots of people in my class who called themselves Christians, which I thought I was. And there was lots of things happening. You would have seen people 
sitting uh, along the windowsills at, at, at lunchtime and uh, there was people talking about Jesus and I thought this was a bit weird. And then this girl in my class who, it wasn't that she she got into trouble, it's just she was really effervescent, really loud, which I wasn't, so I always avoided her. And then one day I met her on the street. It was my turn to take the dog for a walk and I don't like dogs. Only one in the family who didn't like dogs, but we had to take our turn. Walking down the, the main road, who did I see coming up this the footpath but this girl? And I thought, oh, she's going to stop and talk to me. What does she want? And she stopped and she had this bundle of little pieces of paper in her hands. I didn't know they were called gospel leaflets then. And she stopped and she told me, how she'd become a Christian and I thought oh here it goes again and and I was a wee bit nervous and and she says come to our youth fellowship on Sunday night Catherine you'll love it there's lots of young people there and I says but it's not my church and she says oh please come please come so anyway I was a bit terrified of not going and so I coaxed my mother um to let me go just because I didn't want this girl to have any trouble with her and so I went down to the gate of this other church down the road and this uh I thought I was hoping she'd forgotten and she wouldn't be there, but she was there. And we went into a room that must have had over a hundred young people. And it was full of buzz. Thankfully, all the seats were taken and we had to stand at the back. And that suited me fine. And they started singing songs about Jesus that I'd never heard before. And there were people who were excited. And there was somebody giving a story at the front talking about how he'd come to know Jesus and all these kind of terms that I didn't understand at the time and I was blown away because for the first time I realised that being a Christian wasn't about going to church and giving to charity and all those things which are good and they're right and that's good that people do them but it doesn't do anything for you inside and so that night I bounced up home because I had a curfew on had to be home, came in, put my head around the living room door, says, I'm back, Mum, couldn't wait to get upstairs. And I shared the room with my younger sister who was asleep at this stage and I got down on my knees and I says, God, I don't know what all this is about. But I realise that I'm not the good girl that I thought I was and, and, and I want you to make me a Christian like those people that I met tonight. And that was the beginning of really... A remarkable journey because being a Christian, I think, is a wonderful life. Uh, to me, there's nothing like it. And uh, the young people included me in everything and things were going on in school. And that's actually met my now husband over a Bunsen burner. That's a different story. But anyway, that's um, that's how I became a, a Christian, how I became a follower of Jesus just then. I was 14 years old. So... As a 14-year-old, as you were on your knees, did it feel different at that moment? Yes, it did, actually. I know I know. for some people it doesn't. Prayer to me was always something that um, it was other people's words that I said. Now, don't get me wrong, I know there's a place for that and I'm, I'm not against that. But that night I actually prayed using words, even though I didn't know their jargon, but at that moment, I really believed that God had done something in my heart because I'd heard that Jesus had died on the cross for me. Now, every Easter we saw that at church, but this was personal. This was about me and about how I could know him because Jesus died on the cross to forgive my sins. And so, yes, it was different. Mm-hmm. Very. So here we are uh, looking back. 
Can you remember what some of the worship songs were back as a 14-year-old when you all got together? Can you remember what you were singing back in those days? Was it back in the kind of early youth praise when you, I think it was the green book, wasn't it? And there was an orange book. I can't remember what colour the book was, um, but I mean, in Northern Ireland, I think we're still singing some of those, some of those old songs. And uh, memory wise, you know, I mean, we had, um, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back, things like that. And the singing was fabulous. Just the fact that people, young people were talking about Jesus. I kind of find it difficult to understand how Christians can be together, even as an adult for a meal and we don't talk about the Lord and as I say I think back then that it would be certainly easy to say that it was a time of special blessing there were lots of people in the Newton Abbey area I went to a young people's prayer meeting on a Saturday night can you imagine it it was the place to go we met in the flat of leaders and um, we went there on a Saturday night. I worked um, from when I was 16 in the British Home Stores on a Saturday in Belfast. And I couldn't wait to get home to get to the prayer meeting. And there, this room would have been packed with young people. We would have sung together. We would have spoken about how our week had been. We would have prayed. And there was not one person in that prayer meeting who didn't pray for a mum or a dad uh, to come to know the Lord as Saviour. And I was the first one who was converted in my family. And then my brother, who was 18 months older than me, as I said, and we were very close. And then after that, it was um, mum and dad and then my sister over a few years now. But the excitement was there, the thrill of knowing Jesus and of being together. It was the same for the scripture union at school. You know, you didn't want to miss it. Are you describing uh, all these young people? I mean, that was part of my journey was to discover a church where all the young people were and then I look back now and my life was being shaped by those moments. Yes I really believe that absolutely. I, I still have a, a group of friends, um, all women in our 60s there I've told you and we still meet regularly and they were all converted at that time and are all still good friends today and we still pray for each other. So it's remarkable how it moulds you and how it also sets you up when you have someone to talk about who's on your wavelength, where you can talk about what you've been reading in the Bible, the things you're struggling with, um, or the things that really excite you and that you want to share with someone. And so it just made everything normal. It was our normal way of living. So I was the eldest, and apparently the other three that followed me at school, they were always uh, held up to my standard. Did you have the same thing when you were at school? Only with languages. My brother was excellent at languages and unfortunately I got the same teacher as him for German. And the, the thing was that you had to choose either German or geography and it was the geography teacher that I didn't like. So I had to choose German and I thought, well, if my brother does it and likes it so much, it'd be great. But I remember the German teacher saying one day with head in hands, because you had to pick a German name as well and I was Kata. And he says, oh, Kata, Kata, if your brother could hear you now, you know. And so um, I wasn't great with languages. And my brother was extremely good at languages and has lived in Germany now for over 40 years. But I think I probably got to confess that I was thrown out of the German class and asked not to come back. Oh, good, good, good. We have something in common then. <laughs> I wasn't quite thrown out, but I'm afraid 
it was right at the bottom of my exam results. <laughs> so when it came to kind of education at, at 16, was there a, were you going to finish then or did you move on to do other things? And when did writing start to become something? On my 16th birthday, I had an interview for the Royal Victoria Hospital in Belfast for nursing. Back then, you didn't need degree status, and so I just needed a certain number of O-levels. And and then to fill in my year, I started nursing when I was 17 and a half. And that was still during the Troubles in Belfast, so you could be here all day as far as that's concerned. I loved nursing, and by this stage, of course, Philip and I had met, and we felt very much that the Lord was calling us to foreign uh, missionary service. And so, to me, not only did I want to do nursing, but I felt that it was a perfect preparation for that. I started nursing in the Royal Victoria Hospital in Belfast when I was 17, did my nursing training and then later did my midwifery training, all with one view in mind, and that was that um, we would head off to somewhere foreign. Philip had headed off by this stage to Bible College to study in Birkenhead. So that was where we were going, where we were headed um, at that time. And was uh, nursing, was it a vocation for you? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. I loved every minute of it. I, I loved the very difficult times, especially. I loved working in A&E, emergency department, whatever names they've changed it to now. But my big thing was I worked in coronary care and I did... Um, the uh, pantridge defibrillator that everybody you see everywhere. Uh, he was our boss and uh, had the cardiac mobile unit. And so I went in the cardiac ambulance with the doctors all around Belfast, people who had collapsed. So it was a very exciting time and I loved it. And I just felt, yeah, this was me. And in the midst of all that excitement, was there one particular moment that still sticks in your mind? Oh, dear. So many. Probably the interesting one would be because we went out on the cardiac ambulance around Belfast, I can remember one time when a new English doctor had come to work in the Royal. And at that time, as I say, it was very difficult in the Troubles and it was our first night working together. The ambulance consisted of a senior doctor, a a qualified nurse and the ambulance driver and it was all kitted out for people who had had heart attacks. And so we got a call and it was to a drinking club up the very top part of, of the Falls Road and in a very Republican area. And I said to him, because he was very polite and very lovely and very English, and I said to him, Doctor, please don't speak when we are out. This is a dangerous place that we're going to. Please don't speak. I'll talk. You can tell me what you want and I'll talk. The first thing was we met this burning barricade across the road and uh, they had a way of moving them to let the ambulances through. So on we went and and we stopped in the car park of this drinking club, a Republican drinking club, and the back doors, the ambulance open and there's this man standing with a rifle in his hand. And the doctor just looked at me like this and I said, and I just said, can you show us the way, please? So we went into this drinking club. It was crowded and made our way through to the back room where this wee man wasn't well. Well, we're doing all right. And then all of a sudden he said, make way, please. Make way, please. And every head turned and every noise stopped that this English man was in this drinking club. So anyway, thankfully, the man with the gun said, let the doctor through. So up we went up in to see this little man but lots of fun things exciting things very sad things you know when you go and you you find a a young as on one other occasion a young 
man collapsed at his wife's feet and and died and he was only in his late 20s and there with the wee Wellington boots all sitting lined up of his children asleep in bed. So loads of stuff that was just really exciting, desperately sad, but privilege you felt as a nurse to be there when people were in the extremity of not knowing how the situation was going to turn out was a great privilege and one that I enjoyed very much. And as you were doing this, there was a sense of God's presence with you all the time? Well, I felt so. And I always prayed non-verbally unless asked. There were occasions when somebody says, can somebody pray? You know, and and I would have prayed. Um, But generally it was non-verbally and I couldn't have done those kind of jobs or comforted people who we had to say, I'm sorry, we weren't able to resuscitate and wait until other family came. So I needed the Lord with me for that kind of work. Hey, this is Sam. Really hope you're enjoying this conversation right here on the Profile Podcast today. Could you do me a favour right now? It will take you just two seconds to give us a rating and a review wherever you found this podcast. Just a couple of seconds to give us a rating is so, so helpful. It helps other people to discover the show as well. So if you could do that, we would so appreciate it. So you've got married. Did you always want a family? Oh, yes, of course. Um, we did uh, very much so and uh, almost two years after our marriage our first child was born we had a a lovely little girl named Cheryl and first grandchild on both sides of the family so you know what excitement that causes and and yeah we were absolutely delighted uh, that this little girl had come into our lives and then about seven months after um, Cheryl was born with having a few months in between um, of visiting doctors because she didn't seem to be doing as many things as other kids at that time, other babies at that time. Um, we sat with a paediatrician who used words, Ian, that literally turned our lives upside down. And he, he just quite simply uh, said, don't you realise that your little girl is handicapped? That was a word was perfectly fine in use back then. And, and, and he said after that, she will never be normal. And... I was devastated. I just couldn't believe this. How could this happen to us? I mean, we loved God. We wanted to serve him. In fact, we not only wanted to serve him, and you'll excuse the the arrogance behind it, but we kind of thought we were giving up everything for God and going to serve him overseas. And um, it was an extremely difficult time because not only did we not know and they were not able to tell us what things would be like for Cheryl, As she grew up, she had a condition called microcephaly, which meant her brain didn't grow properly. But you can only tell us as time goes on how much uh, development there would be, depending on which areas of the brain were grown, had grown and which were missing. And so they couldn't tell us. And we'd had no idea with this. We might that we absolutely adored what life was going to be like for her. And we had no idea what what was going to happen for us because everything looked perfect. And then all of a sudden, no missionary society were going to take a couple with a profoundly disabled child, as it turned out, became clear. There was tears that first night? Oh, tears, tears, not only the first night, but it was very difficult, tears, tears. And Philip was always, 
much more sensible and secure. And men deal with difficulty different than women. And I think that's okay. Sometimes that can be a real problem in a family. You know, a husband deals with it differently than a wife. But I find it very difficult. I had so many questions. I, I just felt that everything I was so secure in suddenly started to shake. You know, God loves me. Does he? God has plans for me. What kind of plans are they now? And all of these questions came and I was like many good, especially us good Northern Ireland Christians went to church every Sunday with a smile on our face, you know, and a smile hides an awful lot. And I inside was devastated and very few people knew just how difficult um, those early days were. Um, and, And yet God is so kind and he's so gracious. Philip was working as an evangelist at that time. So he was all over the country, you know, here in Northern Ireland, sometimes in England. I never really liked when he was away, except in those early days when we were given that news, because I could kind of hide in bed with the duvet over my head and have myself a wee pity party. And, you know, I didn't have to look at him and listen to him saying one more time, you know, um, why are you crying? (laughs) You know, whenever, to me, it was... It was pretty obvious. But on one particular night, Ian, you know the way sometimes there are things happen that are totally unexpected, that you would call it a God moment because it's the only way you can describe it. I was in bed and Philip was away and Cheryl was fast asleep, the wee pet. And I had the duvet over my head and there I was crying and why is this happening, God, and feeling sorry for myself yet again. And when I kind of took a breath from it all, there was such a sense of God's presence in the room that I almost felt, you know, you pulled the duvet down, you might see him. His presence was so close and he was so real. And what he, God in his graciousness did, he spoke to me through a verse that I had learned shortly after I became a Christian, a verse from Isaiah 43. And it, he says in it, Fear not, don't be afraid, for when you pass through the waters of great difficulty, I will be with you. And the first thing, that really hit me was it said when it didn't say if you happen to be one of these unfortunate people where things go wrong but that God actually said Catherine this is not unusual in life but I can assure you that you'll never have to walk through this on your own and so for the first time in weeks I actually rolled over and went to sleep and I felt such a sense of God's presence and God's peace that then for the days and weeks and months and years that led on, I always knew that he was with me and that he would speak to me, that I just needed to stay close to him in that time. Um, And so the early days were particularly difficult. And was that like the first time you really felt as if you'd gone through a valley experience? Oh, absolutely. Uh, We were, I just felt as if valleys were only looking down on you know from the mountaintop because everything in life was wonderful you know and um, we were just so excited about whatever God had for us in the future and also what we were going through at that time and and so that to me would have been yeah my first valley experience I mean I remember when my granny died it was difficult because I was about 10 or 11 and it was the first time that I'd experienced death but it wasn't anything like this because this to me was to do with God and me and therefore I felt I was in the valley and I, I couldn't really understand what was going on. It didn't make any sense. That was the thing, the big thing. 
Did you reach a point then when it did make sense? Mm. Bit by bit, little by little. You know, it's interesting that at the time we can't see it, but then I came to realise that we are only a little part of God's big picture. And I think it hit me one day when I was uh, getting the plane into Belfast and I was passing a place where um, a friend of mine lived and the plane had never come that way before and I had been to her home down on the Arch Peninsula on numerous occasions. And as I came down in the plane, down over it, I could see her house and it just all looked so different to see it, that little that little blob and everything else around it and how it all fitted into one picture. And I really felt at that time that God was saying, you know, this is what happens. You don't see it, but there's a big picture that I see and you're in the perfect place for how I want uh, to be able to use you and to bring glory to my name. Too many of us are living in a bubble and not hearing both sides of the world's important stories. It's time for a more rounded perspective. It's time to discover Premier Christianity. Balanced, confident, relevant, faith-filled. Discover fresh biblical perspectives as we bring you wide-ranging stories that impact the church. Discover the go-to source for Christian news. Subscribe at premierchristianity.com. Now only five pounds for three months. So having had all these experiences, did you then think that you would decide not to have another child? No, that was never the case, actually. Um, there was no genetic test for the condition at that time. So they weren't absolutely sure that it was a genetic problem. So two years after Cheryl was born, we had a very healthy son. And it was such a delight to see a child in our family who could do all the things other children do, you know, like empty your pots and dig out your roses and things like that and it was such a delight and still is to have him in our lives and then a couple of years three and a half years after that I was pregnant again and I always with Paul I had to go to what was called an antenatal genetic clinic to have special tests done and that wasn't because I would have anything done you know and have the baby maybe terminated or whatever if there was a problem but it was just to see where we were and to have helped me to have the confidence to know how things were were going to be and so three and a half years after Paul was born um, I was pregnant again went through all the tests every two weeks and I can remember six weeks before this baby was due the doctor's words were home in a boat Mrs Campbell nothing wrong with this baby this one's perfect and you can see the two extremes of the two things said by two different doctors. She will never be normal. This one's perfect. So we had people praying for us literally all over the world. It was just amazing because we were so so delighted that God was this was going to be the last one and God had given us, um, in particular, a sibling for our little boy who just, you know, wanted someone to play with and all the rest of it, but also for our own lives too. And... Uh, and so um, when the baby was born, it was another little girl and her daddy named her Joy because God had given us another daughter who was perfect. Unfortunately, I wasn't so sure because she looked like her sister. She had a very small head. And six weeks after Joy was born, I was sat in front of a different paediatrician at this time, one who'd looked after Cheryl for the previous six years. And, and she just said, I'm sorry. She says her brain has stopped growing and she's got the same condition as her sister. Only this time I knew what it would mean, you see, because we did Cheryl for six years. And I knew that 
uh, our beautiful little Joy would never walk or talk. She couldn't see. Um, you know, it wouldn't be long before the seizures would start and her back would twist. All of the things that her sister had. And so we knew at that time. And so the big emotion, to be honest, at that time was disappointment. Because those six years with Cheryl, I'd learned so much. I had, because of her, I'd become closer to God than I'd ever thought was possible. I'd got to know the scriptures better than I'd ever dreamt. And we loved her. But it wasn't easy, you know, uh, and I didn't want to have to go through it all again. And so it was disappointment um, uh, was my was my big emotion at that time of having to start to look at all of this again. So it was all very raw. Was your faith at risk? Were you really angry? No, the anger was more with Cheryl it, and because... The, that I knew by this stage, you know, from Psalm 139, which was so precious, you know, that where God talks about how he knows us while we're being formed, while, our, while he's forming us in the secret place of a mother's womb. And I had learned that God doesn't make any mistakes in those six years, that having a child who couldn't walk or couldn't talk didn't mean to say that that child was somehow or other God hadn't got it right, you know, but that we're all different and we're used in different ways for God's glory. And so it wasn't anger with joy. It was just disappointment. I didn't want her to have to go through what her sister had gone through. And I was disappointed for our son as well because I just kind of, you know, you think of how they get on and play together and do things together. And it was more the disappointment than anything else. Um, And I knew, I think the one thing that I had learned, especially over um, over those six years, and for those who are listening, this to me is maybe the most important thing I could say, is that God is a speaking God. And the way that he speaks is through his word. And so the more I opened his word and the more I heard him, and the more he showed me what he was doing in my life. But here I was with another child who was had a dreadful journey ahead. And all I could think of was, um, you know, we have to go through this all over again. I couldn't read. I couldn't concentrate because I was... I was emotional and down and all the rest of it. So I just asked um, God to speak to me through any way. And I was using a little devotional book at the time. And maybe that's why I like writing them, I don't know. But it was all I could cope with at the time. And on one particular day, and I and I said, God, please speak to me. I read this little devotional and the little thought in it was so powerful because it was about this customer who'd gone into a shop to buy a tea set and he said to the owner of the shop uh, why are these two sets so different and it turned out that long story short the difference was that one of the sets the better set had to be put through the fire twice to get the design on it and God really spoke to my heart I couldn't believe he was so direct in saying to me and at the bottom of the page it just said don't rebel at the second breath of the flame if he sends it And it just showed to me yet again that God loved me and that he had a purpose and a plan in all of this and for joy too. And so I just had to give up my disappointment and my questioning. And as he'd said to me before, trust me even with what you can't understand. And so that was where then, that was where, yes, the journey was starting with joy, obviously, um, but it was different you know, because you obviously work on where you're at from that point. Um, and she was an absolute treasure. 
And were you able to, to carry on working and just get the balance of things right? Must have been really tough. Well, right from Cheryl was born, I only worked two nights a week at that stage because uh, Philip worked from home so we were able to manage it and my parents lived quite close and they were very, very good looking helping to care for the children. So I enjoyed my nursing and it was almost as if when I went down the street, it was almost as if you were putting a different hat on. Do you know what I mean? You went from being the mother to being the nurse and although you were looking after sick people, it was different. You were in a different position and you could come home again in the morning. So I did stay nursing but only part time um, and then... Uh, after a number of years then started getting invited to speak at meetings and share my story at meetings and and then I started some writing um, then before um, Cheryl died when she was 10 and so things were starting to move into uh, sharing how God helped me through those times so yeah it, it changed different wee cycles different wee bits. And as you were invited to to talk about this which can't have been easy it was really important to just share the the rawness of the testimony and just yes I think it's vitally important because I don't think there is a family that doesn't have heartache of some kind or other I don't believe there is any hierarchy of suffering. I don't believe that just because we had children who died that somehow or other that's different than any other type of suffering. I have a special um, concern for women and for mothers, obviously, um, and I just felt it was just so important. I mean, after um, I wrote Under the Rainbow, which is the book that contains my story, and it's it's pretty raw and it's just like I'm speaking to you now I, I kind of I want to be honest there's no point in hiding things and so after I wrote it I, I was speaking at a, at a meeting and it just shows you the importance of of sharing I was just sharing my testimony and this young woman came up to me and she sat down and she said I buried my baby six weeks ago and she said, thank you for being so honest. So we sat together, we cried a bit, we talked together, we looked at the scriptures and we prayed together. And then she said, when she got up, she said, you know, you talk a lot about the promises of God and how they have sustained you in your journey. Why don't you write a book about them? And so I'd never planned on doing anything more than Under the Rainbow. And then out of that conversation with this uh, young woman, I wrote a little 40-day devotional called Rainbows for Rainy Days. And uh, it has powerfully spoken into the, the lives of so many people. In loads of people out there suffering. They need honesty, not airy-fairy, but they need to know that God is with them when the rubber hits the road. And are there uh, particular days during the year that are just precious days and you'll remember and do things? Well, yes, Cheryl died when she was 10 and Joy died 10 years later when she was 13. And uh, obviously, uh, grief is, uh, it's never something that goes away. It just changes. And yet there are other times when it just hits you right up the face as if it was just yesterday. But of course, there are the things like um, the birthdays. Usually find the actual day is not a problem. It's the leading up to it, you know, um, and the anniversary of the deaths. Um, Cheryl and Joy's birthdays that were very close um, uh, because Joy was July and Cheryl was August. So they were very close. And I suppose Cheryl, in many ways, her death had happened just two weeks before Christmas. So that's a huge thing. And she was only 10, you know, and and, and so Christmas always has other 
connotations for us. Uh, and then Joy, um, she died in March in the spring time, you know. So, yes, there are days and there are days. And I'm always a mother of three. And, you know, people sometimes will say, how many children do you have? And you kind of think, do I want to tell them all this? Or do I just say, well, we have a son. So it depends who I'm speaking to. But generally, I'm pretty honest because then you usually find there's a story comes out and maybe you can help someone. There are days, there are days. And then there are other days that there's nothing particularly significant and you just miss them. And as you go around and talk and share... Is there a real sense that uh, God has just prepared you to draw alongside people? Yes, I think that's important. I think, too, that the, he's taught me so much. I wrote a book called Broken Works Best, um, which I think is probably the most powerful book that I've written because what I did was, away from the kind of testimony, although there's a little of my story in it, I look at the big questions and look at what the Bible says in them, how that has practically helped me, you know, um, how does God see me? Does God really care? Why should we suffer? All of these big issues. And I don't do it desperately theologically. I try to be biblically sound, but with a compassionate and an inspirational voice. And it's been amazing how the things that I have learnt stemmed from a time when I thought, you know, there's no sense in this. It doesn't make any sense. And yet I have the opportunity to speak to hundreds of women every year. And the privilege of hearing back from some of them of what has happened in their lives and how maybe reading one of the books or um, where God has really spoken to them and helped them fit in a little bit of the puzzle of the life that kind of just they just can't find the right thing to make it look like a picture anymore and so it's a privilege and a responsibility it at times is desperately sad but the more I see how God works in our lives in order that we can help each other we were made in the image of God, and that's a hard thing to understand. But one of the things I like to think of in that is we were made relational. And that God wants that vertical relationship with us. And, and yet he has given us a horizontal relationship with other people. And so it's good to be able for us to, to help each other. You know, the things that have happened to me, Paul said in Philippians, have happened for the sake of the gospel. And so I kind of have owned that kind of in my life um, that God doesn't waste these painful times that doesn't necessarily make it any easier but he doesn't waste them you're listening to Premier Christian Radio and I'm with Catherine Campbell in Belfast now I've got a copy of your new book here did God inspire you to do the next book is that how it happens I don't write as a hobby if something, if God has impressed something in my heart and it's something I've been reading or people I've been, I've been meeting, then, um, then I usually know it's the next time uh, to write the book. And as I mentioned, they're broken works best and looking at all the different lessons I'd learned. What I discover as I go around and as I speak to people is people tend to feel that their circumstances dictate who they are. And their circumstances or past experiences or life situations almost influence their future so much that they nearly feel that, yeah, they'll get up every morning, but there's nothing much to life anymore. And yet the Bible is absolutely chocker block full of people who have experienced 
the same situations, similar situations in different centuries than we have. And yet God never gave up on them. He never finished with them. And so that's what inspired the latest book, um, God Isn't Finished With You Yet, is that I look, I love by retelling Bible stories. I'm very, very careful about it. I don't like calling it biblical fiction because I put so much research into it. And so I look at people say like the first story in the book, like Abigail, Abigail, who was trapped in a dreadful marriage and how and how God helped her in the situation and then how God changed that situation at the end. I look at a situation and then and then I look at what does the Bible say about this? Is there anything we can learn from a woman who'd lived so very long ago about acceptability and and the different things that she came to terms with in her life? And so I look at people in the Bible because I want I want those who read the books to recognize that the problems they had back then are similar to now, but the God of the Bible is still the God of today. My aim is for people to get to see that God speaks through the Bible. I've also written four devotional books, two short ones and two year long ones. Journey With Me was the first, um, which came out in, in 2018. It was an eclectic mix of lots of different things from scripture. And I always wanted to write a book about Jesus, but I was afraid because I didn't want to make a mess. And I just felt, no, I don't know that I can do this. And the publisher said, well, why don't you do it in a 365 and look look at Jesus as, as from Scripture and what, what we learn about him from Scripture. And so I have a new book coming out in October and it's called Consider Him. And it's uh, a whole year long of readings and inspirational thoughts and devotionals on Jesus. People say on the life of Jesus and I say no on Jesus right from the beginning. Um, as, as somebody said once, and I thought it was a powerful statement that uh, there was a saviour in eternity long before there was a sinner in the garden. So it it kind of looks at Jesus right from before creation or around the time of creation, right through to the fact that he's coming again. So so that comes out. So yes, it has to be particular things that God's speaking to my heart about. I'm not a trained writer. I just wrote one book, said I would never do another one and the writing bug caught and I, I love it and I love the fact that it can speak into people's lives. So having spent uh, time living in the Gospels and reading about Jesus, has there been anything that's kind of really particularly precious out of that experience? Yes, I think the fact that Jesus didn't treat anybody different than anybody else. I, I think the fact that Jesus touched the leper as well as he spoke to the to Nicodemus you know someone in the hierarchy of the religious establishment that he gave himself to all of these people and also the whole business of the cross just when you're studying it again and you're looking at it I think sometimes as Christians we take it all for granted what that meant and the physical experience of Jesus who was 100% man and 100% God and how the 100% man was broken in the garden you know and but yet he was prepared to get to the place where he said okay God if this is your will for me then I'm prepared to do that even now you know and those parts of Jesus were just he's just a giver he just gives himself I just love that in particular, but I love it all because he's there. He's right through the whole, the you know, the crimson cord, as they call of the gospel. It's right through scripture and, and he's there. 
Catherine Campbell, thank you so much for just for sitting on the settee with me here in Belfast and chatting and just sharing some of your story. Thank you very much, Ian. It's been a real pleasure. God bless you. You've been listening to The Profile in association with Premier Christianity magazine. <laughs>